you were really nervous about whether or not you'd be able to find enough clients. <laughs> I remember you coming on Slack and saying like, things will be quiet. And um, that I was happen. like, we're going to sell zero of the new core offer. I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm prepared. It's fine. And then you sold out your month essentially almost in like two weeks. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now your hosts, Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. So this is really fun because we're doing our third case study episode again of this season. I feel like we should just dive in and get our very special guest to introduce herself. So Autumn, why don't you go ahead and do that? All right. Hi, I'm Autumn Whit Boyd. I am an attorney located in Tennessee. My law firm works exclusively with online businesses. And I have been thrilled to be working with Brianne and Jill for about the last six or seven months on narrowing down our focus, developing a core offer and learning all the things. All the things. <laughs> It's been great fun and exciting to really be working with you over these past, man, has it only been like six, seven months at this point? It was September-ish. Yeah. 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 Let's just start out by asking, you know, where were things when we first started out with you? What was your job, Autumn? Yeah, what was, was your job? job? I had 19 <laughs> jobs. Um, so I'm the founder of the firm, but I was also pretty much the lead attorney when I came to work with you guys. We have had a team at that time. It was it was employees mostly. I think everyone was part-time except me. Or we had one brand new full-timer. But yeah, it felt very cobbled together. And I was still managing everyone, really making all the decisions, had not passed on much ownership to the team. We had an incredible 2020, despite the pandemic. A lot of our clients are in online education, which experienced a huge boom during the pandemic. So it was unexpected and it was a a wonderful surprise, but we were not prepared for the influx of work (laughs) that came our way. So when I came to you, it was really like, help. (laughs) We are having record month after month and this business is going to break and I'm working all the time and I don't know what I need to do, but I know I need like an outsider to help me with some perspective and to put some some new things in place. I'm, I'm curious because you mentioned that you were experiencing such rapid growth and at the same time you were doing 19, 19 jobs is what we estimated. <laughs> Approximately. <laughs> Approximately. Might have been 43. Who knows? It was somewhere in that range. But yeah, I'm curious in this period of rapid growth, it's not like you were just sitting twiddling your thumbs. Obviously, you were busy with the work, but it's not like you were just sitting and letting this growth happen and doing nothing about it. So even before you came to us, you had been trying different things to try and figure out like, how do we manage this growth? How do I not be in the middle of all the things? Tell us a little bit about what you had tried. And it would be easy for me to say, tell me all the things that didn't work. (laughs) But I kind of want to know the stuff that did work as well. I had read some books. I (laughs) like I read I'm a big fan of Mike McAllowitz. I'd read Clockwork. I'd read some things about systematizing and delegating to your team. And all of those I were helpful, but I I don't know. I just wasn't able to let go of things. And I think that was where I was really stuck. So I was like, yeah. I'm doing all the things that all the books say. And I'd worked with coaches in the past, primarily really more on business development. So a lot of those seeds of business development that I'd sowed for the last three years, was like they're all blooming. Yeah. <laughs> so like that was going really well. Marketing was going really well. I will say I had promoted our, she started as a contract copywriter and then had grown into doing marketing. And then I promoted her to our full time kind of marketing director. 
And so that was going great. Like I was pulling myself back from marketing a lot. And we sell, I should mention, we sell digital contract templates. So we have product side of the business as well as a one-on-one side of the business. So that was going really well. And I was pulling myself out of that, although I was still making too many decisions (laughs) in that piece. But yeah, I think it was more just like we had a new attorney who had just joined the team who was a junior attorney and needed kind of some training and oversight and also like working in the online business world. It's just weird. There's a lot of words people use that aren't normal and like just the way people do business. If you've never been a part of it, it's there. It's just, there's a learning curve. So we were kind of struggling with that. I was trying to teach her. And then our business manager is amazing at systems and processes. So she had templated like our most common projects are trademarks, copyrights and contracts. So we have a really good workflow. We use Asana for project management. So like that was working well, but it was just, we got to a volume where the Mm -hmm. systems that had worked no longer could handle the volume. And we weren't dropping balls, but I felt like we were getting really close. Right, yeah. We did not have a lot of checks and balances to like make sure that nothing was falling through the cracks. It was like, if you don't click the right box in Asana, it just goes into the ether and the task can get lost. Right. It's like you have, you start to have all these open loops and yes. right. Yeah. And which, which I, because I know you, I know that would create a situation where you would feel like you need to be the one that's checking and making sure that the things don't fall through the cracks and, and I, that I sort of thing. I felt that way, Brian. That's what I was doing. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You just had a really big win in terms of getting yourself out of the review process, which relates to what we we're just talking to. I want to get into well, here. I these. wanted to come in on that one. Too. Well, we'll get. <laughs> There. We'll get there. But I remember one of the very first things that you kind of realized when you were going through and you were looking at your business and you're saying, how do I make it scalable? Was we're not as focused or quote unquote niched down to use an internet marketer turn. <laughs> we're not as niched down as I thought we were. And I'm really curious what that realization was like, because you thought you were niched down. You thought you had this narrow segment of the market. So w- looking back on it, how what have you come to realize now? Yeah, a lot of that was going through the process of working with you and Jill on our new kind of front end core offers. What is the way we always start working with a new client? And what I realized, and I'm like a data analytics, I love looking at how things have gone in the past. So I like ran all these reports from our client management software to see who who were our highest volume clients, like who was sending us the most work. And then also looking at that just with a kind of subjective lens, like who do we love working with? And what I found was we were doing a lot of really small projects. So Mm -hmm. as far as legal spend, it might be $1,000 or $2,000. But our value set is really, really high level of service. And the attorneys on our team are really experienced. And you know we're not like a trademark mill where I've got somebody in Vietnam filling in the applications and I'm paying them 20 cents an hour. Like we... Mm -hmm pride ourselves on really being a trusted advisor to our clients. And so I saw a mismatch between the type of work we were doing for a lot of clients, these just one-off, like really quick projects. We'd be finishing a month. We never really got to know the client very well. They never came back and asked us for anything else. They they weren't like looking big picture in their business and how this fit in. It was just like, hey, I need a contract for this thing or hey, file a trademark on this name. And so looking at all of that, I realized that where, like what we love to do the best, what we, what I feel like we really provide an amazing value to the client is working with someone who is further along in their business. There's just more meat on the bone for us to sink our teeth into. And we can really 
we do fulfill that trusted advisor role, which is what I wanted to see more of. So we've really niched down. We're still working in online business, but it's really someone who is a more established online business. So that was one kind of niching down. And then we also figured out that we really love course creators and coaches. So those are our favorite clients. We work with a ton of them. So we can spot their issues like five miles down the road. We know it's coming because we've worked with a lot of them. What I found was not such a good fit, which like sounds like it would be, were SaaS companies. We do have a couple software clients. And what we found was every time they sent us something new, because we didn't do that much of it, we could do the work, but we had to do a lot of research. And it was like bending our brains into a new box. And then also I had a bunch of legacy clients because I used to do a lot of, before the world shut down, I used to do a lot of local networking because I'm just a social person and I enjoy it and I hate saying no. So we had a lot of kind of brick and mortar and just random people that I had agreed to help over the years that were not anywhere near online business. So all of that, lots of niching. (laughs) Yes. It's interesting for me listening to you talk about this now, because I remember back when we first started (laughs) approaching this conversation. Yeah. When we first started approaching the conversation, you were really nervous about niching down and whether or not you'd be able to find enough (laughs) clients. I remember you coming on Slack and saying like, I told my team, like it might take a couple months and things will be quiet. And um, that was like, we're going to sell zero of the new core (laughs) offer. And if if, it's okay, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm prepared. It's fine. And then you sold like four or five, you sold out your month essentially almost in two weeks. Yeah. It it went much faster than anticipated. Yes. I also thought I was like, wow, we're really like leveling up. It's a different client. I'm not sure I'm in those circles. Like I'm not, I just don't know. Yeah. So it's been an interesting experiment. Mm -hmm, For sure. Tell me a little bit more about what happened for you as a person in the business, but also as the owner of the business too. Yeah, I am a type A kind of (laughs) control freak, but I have very high standards. I never would have guessed. That's why she's a lawyer, folks. Yes, I have very high standards. And so it was never an option to not do a good job, despite the influx. It was just basically like, I will work myself into an early grave. (laughs) That's what it takes. It did not take that. But so that it was a bit of a push pull. And that's what Jill and I spent a lot of our coaching calls on. So it was a challenge. I think we did bring on another full-time attorney. When we first talked about it and we're kind of projecting. I find projecting like capacity needs and that kind of thing. One of the hardest things about being a leader, but Jill and I had run some numbers and we thought, okay, if this goes like we think it will, we'll probably need another full-time attorney like April, May. And then it got to be like February. We were like, oh my gosh, like we need one. We should have hired another one in January, but it's just, you can, you can't predict. Like I could never have predicted that it would go as well as it went as quickly as it did. So we did bring on another attorney and a new executive assistant for me and promoted one of my team members to a new role. I think that was the biggest challenge was, you know, getting to know the new team members. We need, we know, we knew we needed the capacity, but it's still just, it's like a whole part-time job to be hiring, onboarding new team members and try. We also really value culture and you guys have helped me so much with that. So not just hiring a warm body to get the work done, but hiring someone who would fit with our culture and be a team player and helpful and all of that. That was all challenging, but we are, I feel like we are almost on the other side of it. And now the last two weeks, I've been leaving work earlier. I really will talk about the shift with kind of our review process for work that has just been a huge change. Yeah. I I remember you mentioning at at one point, it felt like you were being the air traffic controller for the business (laughs) and for all the clients. It's easy to hire and then still keep doing the things. So how did you take that step back for yourself? Yeah. I think that was one thing I identified like probably... 
very early working with you guys when we did an exercise where we planned out like what would the team look like if you were making a billion with a B? What would the team look like if you were a billion dollar <laughs> business? Which for the record, I have no interest in growing that big. But it was helpful to say, like, what are all the seats you might need to fill? And something like one of the things I wrote on my list of what is one of the 19 jobs I'm personally doing was air traffic controller. And so I realized that and I was like, we need to hire for this sooner rather than later. And so then some other things happened and it made sense for one of our existing team members to move into that role. And so I think it made it easier for me to step out because it was an existing team member who already knows and loves our clients. I literally sent three emails before I realized, oh, this is not my job anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, There is someone on the team who is delighted to take over this responsibility. And so I really stopped and it's been going great. Yeah. So we're only a couple weeks in, but, and I'm, and I, I told this team member, cause we have a culture of like, you grow and you learn through making mistakes. And I said, you will make mistakes. And this team member does not like to make mistakes. Mm. And so we, ha- we had a talk where I was like, you will make mistakes and we will learn from them and it is okay. And I need you to know that like, I, you're not going to get fired if, cause I was trusting her to make this system, but I wanted her to know it didn't have to be perfect from day one. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've been teasing this whole review thing for a while since we're talking about air traffic control and we're talking about all the things going through you. Go ahead, Autumn, and tell us the story about the review process and all of the things. Tell me all of the things. Okay. I don't know how other law firms do it, but when kind of growing up as a baby lawyer in other law firms for, I started my firm six years ago, I would typically be working on bigger projects and I used to do litigation. So it'd be like drafting a brief or like you're researching and writing a memo or, you know, there's these kind of big writing projects. And the way I was kind of brought up was nothing goes out with just one person working on it. Like maybe a junior attorney does the first draft, the senior attorney reviews, sends it back for revisions, whatever. And so I just did that by default. Like I would delegate something to another attorney or I would air traffic control it (laughs) over to their plate. And then I'd say, you know, please assign it back to me for review. And that actually worked fine when we were a smaller team with fewer clients. Like it wasn't really a problem. Our most senior attorney does employment law, which I don't personally have experience with. And so I never really reviewed that stuff just because it would really not add any value. Like I don't really have anything to add. I don't know any anything. That should have clued me in that I did not need to be reviewing <laughs> everything. Because it never bothered me that I never reviewed her stuff. But we did, like I mentioned, we brought in the, the more junior attorney. And so she it was a steep learning curve for her. And I can't remember if it was you, Jill, or someone else who joked with me like that I wanted to take a one year attorney and turn her into like a nine year attorney in six months. We did talk Um, about that. Yeah. 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 And so it was a a struggle of just trying to make sure that the quality of the work that went to the client was at the level that I wanted it to be. I'm a 15 year attorney. So it's just, there's always going to be a gap there. And also a lot of it is subjective. So two people can look at the same thing and have different edits or different outcomes. So anyway, so I was reviewing everything, every email to a client, every document, every everything. And I felt like we had gotten into this vicious cycle. And I would talk about it with Jill. Um, like, I want to stop reviewing everything, but I don't know how. I, did, I don't know how to do that. And so we tried a couple different things, but the real eye-opener was a couple weeks ago. And the thing is, her work is very good. <laughs> so we'd gotten past that problem. Like her, she had made that learning curve really much more experienced than her years would say. And then the other new attorney we just brought on jumped right in. She was very more experienced. So nothing really needed my review, but everything was still getting assigned to me. So Jill came up with the idea that we do, like I said, we use Asana so we could have kind of a, a project in Asana that's like needs review. 
So our old process was it would just get assigned to Autumn and it would go on Autumn's review plate, but that we could have a kind of a generic review queue. And then everyone would agree we're going to, you know, block off an hour a day to go into the review queue and see what needs review. If the idea is that it just needs a second set of eyes, like we can all pitch in on that. Something else that you all have helped me with is meetings. So we went from like basically having no meetings because I felt like I had no time for it. No team meetings, no individual meetings. It was just if your hair is on fire, we'll have a meeting. So now we have a regular meetings cadence, which is great. So we have a legal team meeting, which is all the lawyers and the paralegal. And I brought it up. I said, we had this idea. What do you guys think? Can we all commit to try this for a couple of weeks? And everyone's like, absolutely not. That is crazy. And I was like, okay, what are your other ideas? And... After a few minutes, the most junior attorney said, I don't really need you to review all my work, but sometimes I just have one or two questions that I need answered or that I like want to bounce ideas off of. And the other attorney was like, yeah, me too. I think a five minute phone call or like just putting it in Slack would probably get it ready to go to the client without. And I was like, it was literally like my head exploded. I was like, are you serious? Like that's, (laughs) I've been spending hours on these documents, like giving them a very close review and Yeah. So we tried that and it's been amazing. And literally my workload has decreased by at least 80%. Like when I look at my, at what I, what's on my to-do list every day, it is so much shorter. I'm curious for you, Autumn, your workload has lightened by 80%. So what does that mean that you're able to do now that you weren't before? (laughs) I can like start to see the bottom of the list of like big picture tasks and projects that I've wanted to work on, but didn't have time because I was so buried in client work. When you're a client serving business, like the client work always comes first. We're not going to miss a deadline or disappoint a client. We were redoing our compensation and benefits. And I just have had no bandwidth to even think about that because it is deep work and it's, it goes to our values and it goes to who we want to recruit and what kind of a business we want to be. Like I couldn't have done that in January. (laughs) There was just no place. And then I've really wanted to spend some more time. This sounds super nerdy, but there's been some changes in copyright and trademark law. And like I haven't really had the time to you know, read up on those and dig into some analysis and think about what that might mean for our clients. Like the more proactive legal work, which is really where I see myself fitting on the legal team is to be more of this like kind of strategic, I'm issue spotting, but I'm not in the weeds of actually doing the work. So yeah, it's opening up a lot of room for that. Absolutely. And it's it's opening time off. That's been good too. (laughs) I was going to say, and it's opening up some time for family stuff too, because you had been coming home late. The kids were in bed a lot of the time by the time you got home. Now you're actually able to come home and spend time with the family too. And so that space, yeah. is multiplicative because it's, it's I, we talked about this before, you took the time off, you relaxed, you got the, the brain break, yeah. and then you're able to do more of the things you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us start businesses. This was certainly true for me because like my old job wasn't working. I was working too much. I had no, fle- or I had some flexibility, but not what I wanted. My kids were getting older. I wanted to spend more time with them. But I think especially, I was thinking about this last night as I was going to bed. I think us type A, like overachiever types, we just so easily fall back into that overwork cycle because it's what got us where it was very useful for us for a certain period of our lives. But it's not sustainable and it's not great over a long term. One of the things that I've really appreciated about you and the the work that you've been putting in is around this idea of culture and around this idea of being the leader of the business you want to be. In the beginning, I had to throttle myself because I am like, I have a lot of good ideas and it's very easy for me to jump in and be like, let's do it this way. Um, so just like literally making myself be quiet and 
asking my team, I want to hear your ideas. I want you to come up with the first idea. I don't want to come up with the first idea and then you try and tweak it. I want you to go think about this. And so part of that is quote unquote empowering them. But I think part of it is just like having the discipline to to stay out of the way and let them do it and then let them enjoy the win. Like our, the most junior attorney who I mentioned has taken over part of the first piece of how we work with new clients, which is our like legal strategy call. She's sat in, I think like 15 of them at this point. She's now running the call basically. I'm just taking notes and piping in whenever it's helpful or she has a question. I, I asked her, I said, how could this call run better? Because we have the checklist that we go through and I was like, I think we need to toss out the checklist. Like, I would love to hear what you think we should do. And she like had great ideas. And so Uh I think that seeing it work is encouraged me to like keep staying out of things and empowering the team to do it and, and really handing it over and not like trying to then like lord over and be like, I would have done this or this. There's an element also of what you model for your team, right? How you want to show up and the way that you show up in terms of providing your team with an example of this is how we operate. One of the things, and I remember this very early on, we were talking about what are your company values and how does that show up? And you really talked about wanting to be that strategic advisor and being collaborative with your clients and to have your team feel that way as well. And so I'm curious when you reflect on whether it's the process that you put in place with the core offer or it's how you've given your team ownership How has it manifested in terms of putting those values around collaboration in play that has really allowed you to not have to drive that all the time? Yeah, that's really important. And that's something Jill and I remember. I can't remember what decision it was that I was trying to make and we were going through it. And she's very good at always saying, what do your values say? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I always forget. (laughs) Think about the value. And I'm getting better at it. We're an all virtual, all remote team. Some of us are here in Chattanooga where I live, but we've got one in New York and one in North Carolina. And even the Chattanooga people were not close physically. I wouldn't say we had a bad culture six months ago, but it has improved it so much. Mm -hmm. And people are collaborating more without me, which is great. And the most senior attorney even said on one of our last legal team calls, but we like started the call and she said, I so look forward to these meetings. I feel like we just always, someone says something and then it turns out we're all having the same problem. And then we find a solution by the end of the call. And so again, I think like seeing it work and seeing like solutions come out of it that none of us would have thought of on our own has encouraged everybody. Okay. This is worth 45 minutes every other week to block off on our calendar to engage in that collaboration rather than just, I think I, a lot of us, it's very easy to look at your to-do list and be like, I don't have time for this meeting. I've got too much to do, but it has ended up with some really big wins that have either streamlined or made things work better or made clients happier all the good things. How do you go through and continue that cycle of being able to make those decisions and not get pulled back down into the weeds all the time? I would say it is an evolving process. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Coaching calls with Jill here and there. I did. Was it like two weeks ago, three weeks ago? I came to a coaching call like pretty despondent. um, Not going to lie. But then the next one, I was feeling great. It I think seeing the team running like a well-oiled machine helps me not feel like I need to jump back in and take over. I have a really hard time if I see that things are not done, not being the one that just does them. And so that may be our next challenge. (laughs) I think it's so interesting too that you talk about building in margin because that's something that 
On the flip side, so many business owners, especially service-based businesses, are afraid to do because they're afraid it's going to cost them profitability. What if we have downtime? That would be terrible. But I know that because of the work you do, because of the, the person that you are, you also see this as an opportunity to be a progressive business owner, to represent a different way of doing business to the world. What does it mean for you to be a leader of a progressive business and to really be pushing back against some of the cultural messages that we get so often? Yeah, I think, and I've been doing a lot of learning and growing about everything, especially in the past year. If you had asked me this when I started the business, it was very focused on me and what were my needs. So Mm. I wanted more flexibility. I had young kids at the time. I wanted to have a third, but like could not see how we could ever fit that in with the way I was working. I was traveling a lot and I had just my not kind bosses in my last job. So a lot of it was a reaction against that. I want flexibility. I want to work when I want to work and not when I don't. I want to only work with nice clients. I want to make great money for my family. What has really evolved the most over the last year or two has been seeing that this is not about me. I think the first shift was seeing that I could create dream jobs, not just for myself, but for my team. And in the legal field, it is, it's tough to find a dream job that fits like the criteria I had for myself when I started this business, especially as an attorney. A part time job at a law firm is generally a 40 hour a week job. It's not part time. You know, my personal values were around flexibility and fair compensation for fair works. We've been talking about a lot. I think over the last year, I've really grown into, I always had them as personal values, but now I would say they're a little bit more out loud around diversity and equity and inclusion. So being intentional about, and we've worked with consultants, we work with Erica Corday from Pause on the Play and India Jackson, who've guided us through a lot of this. But how can we make our team more diverse? How can we make our client base more diverse? And that doesn't happen accidentally. I think like a lot of us, like attracts like. And if you're only talking in your own circles, you're just going to keep getting the same things. So being really intentional about that. And that's something I want to continue to work on. And then now looking kind of past that, okay, like we're creating dream jobs. That's amazing. But that's still pretty small impact. Now starting to think of broader impact. How can I impact this industry? And be more progressive and be more fair and just. I don't know how much you guys followed this, but there's been a lot of talk lately in the DEI space about non-disparagement clauses mm-hmm. in contracts and how that ends up basically shutting down what should be fair criticism of maybe somebody who didn't live up to their promises or a team that treats their people unfairly. And so now I'm starting to think more about that kind of stuff. We sell contract templates that are used by a lot of online business owners. What do I want in there that Like, what do I want to set as a default? So I don't include a non-disparagement clause in most of my agreements. Like, it's it's a very rare case that's appropriate. Non-compete clauses. Like, there's all kinds of areas that you don't think, yes, a contract is progressive, but it can be. So I've started nerding out on that and like looking bigger picture. Like you said, there's a lot that could change and hopefully will change in the the online marketing industry for the better, hopefully. And yeah, I'm starting to think more about how we're guiding our clients and how we're helping them run their business. You know, their, their businesses are much larger than mine. I'm not running a, a $20 million online education business, but some of my clients are. And, and so they have a big impact. And so how does the advice that I'm giving them and the way that I help them problem solve and think strategically? Um, and how does our team, the same thing? So that has been really exciting and fun. And now that I have a little more kind of brain room to think about that, it's exciting. Yeah, for sure. 
Yes, very exciting and very, very challenging in its own way, which is always exciting in its own way as well. Yeah. Awesome. We have been on for quite a bit here, Autumn. I want to just talk about this stuff all day. As you know. <laughs> I know, I know, but we all do have work to get back to. We have to be managers at some point in time during the day. <laughs> so I want to just take a moment to say thank you so much, Autumn, for all that you've shared with us today. Thanks for having me. I, I would love for you to share a little bit about um, some of the contracts that you've got built. I know you have some ones that are specifically around like speakers and that mm-hmm. kind of thing with the DEI focus, which is so cool. So tell people about the contract library, but also if I want Autumn to be my lawyer and I want her team to be working on my business, tell them how they can find you and connect with you on that. Yeah. So everything lives at our website, which is my initials, awbfirm.com. You can find the contract templates there. You can find out. Whoa. You can find out how we work one-on-one with clients there as well. And the contract templates that we collaborated with India and Erica on uh, maybe four or five after last summer with the George Floyd murder. I had known them for a little bit. We had gotten to know each other a little bit. Um, I had worked with Erica on some stuff for our firm and they bring such a different perspective than I have and experience. So they raised some issues that I never would have thought of. So it's been incredibly helpful and they are starting to use our contracts in their business. So they will also every now and then just say like, Hey, we're using your affiliate agreement. Can you add this? This is <laughs> where we're seeing. And it's great because it's fantastic feedback. So yes, yeah, so we have five or six now that are specifically, we have the speaker agreement. We have a rider. So if you are the speaker and somebody else sends you their agreement and you want to kind of add on your own stuff, we have that. We have a group coaching and a membership one that have, because that's where we see a lot of these issues yeah. come up. People behaving badly or in you know Facebook groups or group coaching scenarios. You awesome. can find all that on our website, awbfirm.com. That's going to be our episode for today. Jill and I will be back next week or next on your podcast feed for a little bit of a debrief. We're going to go through and we're going to pull out what we found super interesting from Autumn's conversation and help you apply it to your business. So join us in that episode. And until then, have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your week. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, hosted and produced by Brian Dick and Jill Giovinazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag visionaryceopodcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Hey there, it's Jill. We just wanted to take a moment to let you know that everything we've been talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with our clients in the Visionary CEO Academy. Our programs and masterminds are some of the most advanced business leadership opportunities out there and are designed specifically to help strategists, coaches, and other online business owners like yourself scale your business to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, by keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more information and to get started. Can't wait to see you there.